wrestling with God. And uh, I have two purposes, or we have two purposes uh, with this series. Um, the series is a series on prayer. That's where the title of wrestling with God comes from. And uh, the reason why we're doing the series, first of all, is to encourage you to use the prayers of the Bible in your own prayer life. I know sometimes talking to people, they say, Pastor, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. Well, the Bible is full of prayers that you can use, um, that if you pray those prayers, uh, those prayers are praying uh, the scriptures back to God and usually is a very effective way to pray. The second uh, reason why we're doing this series is to learn how to pray for and through our own struggles. There are many of us inside here today that are going through a variety of struggles, and the desire of the series is to use the scriptures in such a way to pray through the various things that are going on in our lives. So that's, that's the purpose of this prayer series, to first of all encourage you to use the prayers of the Bible, but secondly to encourage you to pray through the various struggles in our lives and to see how the psalmist does that. And we're going to do uh, look at, first of all, Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Uh, Hear now the word of the Lord. To the choir master, a miskill of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep, the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Well, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. And I pray that that power might be felt today. Give us ears to hear 
eyes to see the beauty and wonder that's contained within your scriptures. And may it move us and heal us and challenge us and awaken us. And may it bring in us a more perfected person. May we, Lord, walk out differently than when we walked in because you have done the work needed in and through us. So bless our time now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, there's a quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that has profoundly impacted my life. And I, w- I want to share it with you because I think it has a lot of bearing uh, on uh, this text today. For those of you that don't know, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a Welch preacher, uh, preached in England. And um, he was well-known and instrumental in the founding of the Presbyterian Church in America, the PCA. And this is what Dr. Jones says. He says that the devil is well aware that he can't get the Christian in hell. And so he strives to make us miserable. Miserable. The reason why it's such a powerful statement is because what Dr. Jones is putting his finger on is the fact that all of us inside you today from time to time feel miserable spiritually. Some people call it a dry season. It's known by different names, but it's the feeling that you get when, when you pray and you feel nothing. Or when you read your Bible, when you listen to music, or when you go to church, you hear the word of God, you're around the word of God, but you feel nothing. You feel like God is far away. You feel empty spiritually. You feel like You're trying to get a hold of God, but it just feels dry. And so this feeling of emptiness enters your soul. And the reason why I bring up this beautiful quote by Dr. Jones is because that's what the psalmist feels in Psalm 42. He's describing it well. And as we begin this psalm, I want to set the psalm up by pointing out a few things first. Notice with me. The heading to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. In your Hebrew Bible, for those of you that have a Hebrew Bible, that will be verse number one. Because the heading matters. Notice that the sons of Korah is uh, a spiritual leader. He's supposed to lead the people in worship. And so from the very beginning, we see that this is someone spiritually mature saying this. This is someone who is supposed to lead other people spiritually, and yet he's saying, I'm spiritually dry. I'm spiritually empty. The full import of this is simply this. Uh, Spiritual emptiness happens to all of us, even the most spiritually mature inside here today, to the newest Christian. Even to the newest Christian. It doesn't matter who you, who you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your faith. If you've been a Christian for a little bit or for a long time, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor, an elder, a mother, father. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your faith. At some point, you will feel spiritually empty. At some point, you'll read the scriptures and nothing happens. At some point, you will listen to sermons or sing songs, and they don't mean anything to you. That's what's being described in here today. 
The second thing I want us to notice is notice how he describes this miserableness, this emptiness. And it's in very vivid language. Notice with me in your English Bibles, verse number one and two. He says, as a, a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? What is he describing here? Well, he's describing unbearable thirst, dryness. Unbearable thirst. I don't know if you've ever been thirsty to the point where um, you are almost dying of thirst. I have not either. I had to look this up. But it says that you become desperate and delirious. You'll do anything for a drink of water. That's the imagery being put forward here in verse number one and verse number two. And to really get the full import of what's being said here, you really have to take this psalm and study it alongside Psalm 23. If you remember in Psalm 23, David says that God leads him beside still waters. Notice the imagery because it's important. In Psalm 23, David is describing spiritual fulfillment and the presence of God. But here, David is describing spiritual dry. Uh, here, the sons of Korah is describing spiritual dryness and the fact that God is far away from him. And so he feels dry and empty. Notice with me in verse number three, he says, My tears have been my food day and night. What is he describing here? Well, he's describing distress. If you're thirsty and you drink your tears, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to get more thirsty. So he's describing a negative feedback loop here. The fact that nothing that he does ever uh, gives him any measure of hope. That the more he meditates, the worse he gets. And maybe that's some of you in here today. You look at verse number seven, he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waters. What is he describing? He's describing the world, the emptiness of the world. He's reflecting that in his own soul. And he's saying, there's no way I can deliver myself. I am completely helpless, O Lord. Notice with me in verse number five, and as well as verse number 11, he says that my soul is cast down. The Hebrew word there has the idea of melting away. In essence, he's saying, it feels like I'm being burned alive. Now, I've never been burned alive before. My right arm, if you look at it carefully, it has a huge scar on it. I was burned with um, hot grease. It was an accident between me and my brother. And I can tell you, as I saw the flesh melting off of my arm, it felt awful. And the psalmist is saying here, that's how he feels. Like his very flesh is burning off of him. Notice with me in verse number 10, he says, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. And here he's describing the Hebrew word again, has the idea of slaughter in my bones. That's literally what the phrase means. And it means a butcher chopping meat. I don't know if you've ever been to a butcher shop, but if a, you saw a butcher chopping meat, that's how he feels. It's, it's to his very bones. Have you been so distressed before in your life that all you can do is just go and lay down because your very bones are aching within you? 
the level of grief that he's experiencing. Now, what is causing this? Go back to verse number three. He tells us that he's being mocked. He's being mocked. He says, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? In verse number nine, he's mourning because of the oppression of his enemy. This is what's bringing on the misery that he's experiencing. Now, there are some of you here, you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm miserable, but it's not because of enemies. It's not because of anybody oppressing me. Well, it doesn't have to be. Thomas Watson, uh, the English Puritan, said that we feel this state of misery, and it's common to man, because of the fall, we are made liable to all the miseries of life. All the miseries of life, Thomas Watson says. So, so what are all the reasons why we can feel miserable? First of all, discouragement. We get discouraged. Something happens that didn't go your way, and so you feel discouraged by it. Or you might feel disappointment. You, you were trying to get something or trying to accomplish something, and it didn't happen, and you feel a level of disappointment. Strife with others, maybe a spouse or a friend has left you feeling miserable. Failed marriage, wayward children, illness, personal loss, all of these things can cause us to feel miserable. And so the question is, when we do feel miserable, what do we do about it? How do we wrestle with God in the midst of our misery? Now, remember, it's not a question of if you will be miserable. It's a question of when. When and when it happens, what will you do? How will you wrestle with God in the midst of this feeling? Well, I want you to see two things. First of all, what not to do. And second of all, what you should do. What not to do. And then second of all, what you should do. First of all, what not to do. I have three of them. The first thing I don't want you to do is I don't want to question, I won't want you to question your faith in God. Don't question your status in God. Whenever we feel downcast, whenever we feel sad, we often question ourselves. We often beat ourselves up. But that's not what the psalmist does. Notice with me again in verse number three. They are mocking him and saying, where is your God? Meaning this, he's still keeping his faith. And in the midst of keeping his faith, he's being mocked for it. It reminds me of Job's friends when they came to him. They said, Job, uh, you know, you, are you in some sin? What, what have you done to bring upon you this, this awful state of affairs? And Job has to defend himself and says, no, I'm not in any kind of sin. I'm just, I'm just miserable. And I need your comfort. And the psalmist is doing the same thing here. Notice that nowhere in this passage he's confessing sin. Because it's not because of any personal sin. It's not because necessarily anything that he's done. It's because of others outside of him. And the temptation here is to beat ourselves up and say, am I even really a Christian? Well, you are. You might be inside here today and you're miserable and you're downtrodden and, and you're cold spiritually. Don't assume that you're not a believer don't assume that you've lost your faith because you haven't. You're just in misery. 
The second thing that you shouldn't do is don't blame God and Christianity. You know, it's uh, in my time being a believer, whenever people hit a dry spell or whenever people feel uh, miserable spiritually, the first thing they do is they give up on God and religion. This is something that's common that I see often. But notice that the psalmist doesn't give up his faith. In fact, the exact opposite. He pants after God. Notice in verse number one, he says, my soul pants after God. In verse number two, I'm thirst for God, the living God. When shall I appear before God? Over and over again, the psalmist goes after God. He doesn't jettison his faith. He doesn't jettison God. Because the psalmist knows that the only thing worse than being a Christian who feels empty is being a non-Christian who feels empty. A non-Christian that feels empty. There have been times in my life when I've been down both as a non-Christian and as a Christian. And I can tell you from experience. You want to be down and be a Christian. Because the utter abyss is what lies before you if you are a non-Christian and you feel empty. The third thing I want to encourage you not to do is please do not leave your community of believers. And that's what many people do when they feel downtrodden. It must be everything around me, must be my community, but that's not what the psalmist does here. Notice in verse number four, he says that um, as he pours out his soul before God, how would I, uh, he reminds himself of his community. He says, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a, a multitude keeping festival. What is he reminding himself of? Communal festival. Times in which he would get together with the people of God and the people of faith and worship. He's reminding himself of the good times. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to separate myself completely from my community because I'm spiritually downtrodden. That's the worst thing you could do, isolation. It's the worst thing you can do. And again, I've seen it over and over. People are downtrodden spiritually. They're cold. They're miserable. And they choose isolation. And I'm here to tell you today, don't choose isolation. Don't make that choice. You need to be with the people of God. You need to long to be with the people of God. Because in the community of faith is where we are encouraged and built up. So that's not, don't do that. That's not what we're called to do. Now let me end by saying this. What are we called to do? What are we called to do? You're spiritually depressed. You're miserable. First thing that you ought to do, that you should do, is cry out to God. Cry out to God. Notice with me in verse number four. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. The, the whole concept of pouring out my soul is crying out to God. Now, we've lost this ancient and glorious reality. To cry out to God, to pour out our hearts for God. One commentator puts it like this. An act of desperation and total concentration. It is a fervent expression of faith in God and trust in his goodness and power to act on your behalf. The cry out to God is 
to get a hold of God to say, God, I'm spiritually miserable. I'm down, I'm dry, and I can't help myself. Would you help me, O Lord? That's what it means to cry out to God. And you see the traits, again, through this passage. First of all, the the trait of desperation, as seen in verse number 1 and 2, pictured by severe thirst. Notice with me the deep humility that's found in verse number 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. One of the imagery here is, uh, is that of a baby crying in need of help. Notice uh, in verse number 9, there's this plea for mercy. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? He's, he's pleading to God for mercy. And then, of course, I point you back to verse number 2, where he says, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Literally, it means, when shall I see the face of God again? And one of the things that he's yearning for is to see the face of God because he doesn't see the face of God. That's what it means to be spiritually broken. It's when we've lost the face of God. You know, when um, my children were younger, one of the things that I, one of the reasons why I loved coming home is when I came home, I was given the rock star treatment. If you're a young parent, you know what this is. They, you walk through the door, and immediately when they see you, uh, they, they start jumping up and down. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. And I get treated like a rock star. Now, today, I, I get treated a slightly different, not necessarily a rock star. Maybe like the wise sage. I don't know. Um, but, 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 you know, I, I miss that. Now, I don't expect that to continue, and I'm not saying that I wanted to continue. But there was something about seeing the face of their father that made them happy, despite what was going on um, during that time. Let me ask you a question. When, when you're depressed, do you long to see the face of God? Do you long to see the face of God? I'm asking you this question because this is a question I often ask myself. Whose face makes you happy? When, when you're down and depressed, who do you run to see? Whose face do you long for? You know, the psalmist says, I long to see the face of God because that's the face that brightens me and enlivens me. In God's good gifts, sometimes he gives us friends and family and we, we get encouragement from that, but those are secondary. Do you long to see the face of God as you cry out to him? That's important. The second thing I want to point out is remind ourselves of God's promises. We see this in verse 5 and 11. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. What is he doing? He's reminding himself of the hope that is found in God. He's reminding himself of the promises of God. I want to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones again. 
Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote an entire book on verses 5 and 11. It's called Spiritual Depression. If you've never read it, I, I urge you to. It's, it's a brilliant work. But in it, Dr. Jones uh, says this, and, and this is quite profound. He says, uh, have you realized that most of your unhappiness is life in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? And there is a distinction, and I want to put it before you quickly. What is the difference between listening to yourself and talking to yourself, according to Dr. Jones? Well, listening to yourself, he says, you become your own worst critic. You condemn yourself. Oh, I'm foolish. I, I did it again. Dr. Jones says, you bring up past failures and they haunt you. Dr. Jones says, you remind yourself of all the ways you fall short and you don't measure up. That's what happens when you listen to yourself. You remind yourself of all the evil that you've done and all the bad things that you've done, and you beat yourself down. But that's completely different from talking to yourself. Because when you talk to yourself, God desires for you. We talk through God's desires for, for ourselves. And through the Holy Spirit, speaks those desires back to you. That's what happens when you talk to yourself. You remind yourself of what God has said that is true of you. And in doing so, you end up, the Holy Spirit ends up ministering you to you specifically. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, many years ago, me and my wife were writing thank you notes because, um, you know, the, the church we were in, they were very kind to us. And so we were writing some thank you notes. And the, and the deal that we have when we write thank you notes is that my wife writes the thank you notes and I sign them. <laughs> uh, I found that that works best. And so I was uh, studying and she was writing the thank you notes. And we're about the eighth or tenth thank, thank you note in. And I got this note. To my loving wife, thank you for the way you love me and our family. Your selfless and tireless efforts mean so much to me. And I appreciate it a great deal. I love you so much, Dennis. <laughs> so I promptly signed it and said, you're welcome. <laughs> now, what was my wife doing? And don't miss this. My wife was reminding me of what was already inside of me. Of course, my wife knows that I love her and I appreciate her. And I need to say it more. But sometimes in life, you get distracted and you forget these things. And so what she was doing was reminding me of what was true of me. And by giving me that note, that's exactly what happened. So what is the psalmist doing here when he says, hope in God? The Holy Spirit is working through him to remind him of what is true of him. He is a covenant child. He belongs to God, and therefore he can hope in God because God will rescue him. That's what the Holy Spirit does to those who belong to God. In 1 John 3.20, John says this, When our hearts condemn us, remember that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. And from time to time, brothers and sisters, your heart will condemn you. Your heart will tell you you're cast down. Your heart will tell you 
that you are nothing and remind you of the sin that you have. But it is God who is greater than your hearts that reminds you of the truth of who you are and you belong to him. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And notice another thing, the psalmist in verse number eight, he does that again by saying, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. The word there for commands his steadfast love is a military term. And the best way to understand that military term is, is this way. Um, the psalmist is saying that the Lord dispatches his love toward you to accomplish a particular purpose in your life. That's what he's saying here. Uh, the, the closest thing we have in our time is think of, think of the Navy SEALs and special operations. When the United States government wants to accomplish a task quickly and efficiently, what do they do? They pick up the phone and they call SEAL Team 9. And those men get the job done because they're quick and efficient and they have a laser-like focus. But what God is saying here is that his steadfast love is better than any special ops. Because when he dispatches it towards those who are suffering and in need, it accomplishes the purpose that he intends it to. And no matter how desperate your situation gets, the special ops of God's tremendous hesed covenant love is dispatched towards you in that very moment to accomplish the purposes that he intended. About 500 years after this particular psalm was written, God dispatched his Hesed love again in the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, when the psalmist was writing this, this unbeknownst to him, was pointing to that very event on the cross. And on the cross, when our Lord was in the deepest misery of soul, he cried out, I thirst. And imagine that, the source of all living water, cried out, I thirst. Now, he was thirsty so he can provide you, who are thirsty, the living water. And in that moment of deep misery, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And perhaps from time to time, that's you. Feeling forsaken and away from the Lord. One of the last words, I think it's the last word that Jesus said on the cross was into your hands, I commit my spirit. That's what the psalmist is doing here. By hoping in God, he is committing his, his uh, self, his soul, into the hand of God and saying, God, do with it as you will. And so that's where I want to leave you as the big takeaway. You might be in here today and you are downcast. You feel the misery. You feel the emptiness. You feel the coldness. You feel empty inside. Commit your soul to the Lord. Commit your soul to Jesus, the fount of every living water, and feel the refreshment. He has dispatched his covenant love like a special ops group. And they will accomplish the task. Do you believe that?
Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. It is profound and wonderful. Thank you that you allow this prayer to be written in your word as an encouragement to us to teach us how to pray through our own misery. Lord, I pray that this psalm might be a balm to the soul that is in desperate need of it. Accomplish what only you can now in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen and amen.